Welcome to the Main Basketball Rankings Show. I'm your host, the basketball net data nerd, Lucas McNally. And with me today is the most prolific man in Maine high school sports, Michael Hoffer. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, always happy to, to talk sports, and thank you for the, the kind introduction. <laughs> All right, so my very first question is, have you recovered yet from basketball? Do you ever really recover from basketball? And I think that's actually a better question for you since you're more immersed in it than I am. Um, it, to be honest, and at my advanced age, it did take me a little while to uh, recover from all the tournament excitement. I love that time of year. It's my favorite event. It's my favorite time of year. But boy, is it intensive with all the games. And I definitely need a, a few days, maybe the better part of a week to catch up on sleep when it's done. So, uh, yeah, it's I think so. Drive. And it, it is a long, it's a lot, it's a lot of long drive, a lot of late nights, certainly for me. Uh, but I love it. It's it. It always lives up to the hype, and uh, and this year's tournament it was certainly memorable. So you write. So this is what I've always wondered about you. You write like five thousand words for a game story, and <laughs> and somehow keep track. of Rarely everything. that much, but it has happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, well, so how you long know, do those take you to write? Those take me hour to an hour and a half generally. What I what I can do is I'll do like the background stuff ahead of time. And also the look ahead if I, if I know, you know, what's going to be happening going forward. But the actual play-by-play -play and putting all the quotes together and uploading all the photos and stuff, depending on the length of the story, it's a good hour to an hour and a half. And uh, it's certainly a labor of love, though. And so you're just sort of keeping track of the basic stuff during the game, like points, rebounds, right. like scoring runs, stuff like that. Exactly. Yep, and then put it all together at the end. But yeah, I try to keep as, as detailed stats as I can. Uh, you know, the stuff like shooting percentage, that that's a little beyond me. But, you know, as far as individual stats, like assists and rebounds and block shots, uh, certainly I'm able to do that. And then, of course, the the scoring changes and the runs, because that's so important to games. Mm -hmm. I mean, shooting percentages and, like, turnovers. If you had two people, because I use an iPad, and if you had two people sitting next to each other on an iPad, they probably wouldn't match up 90% of percent of the time well no exactly and that's you know that's why i like to do my own you know not that i'm 100 percent right either but i'd rather rely on my own and if someone makes a mistake i'd rather it be me than someone else but um you know <laughs> if, if someone else is tracking some of that other stuff i i will certainly use it too i find it's helpful i found especially this year at the expo i found it really helpful to sit next to don shields because yep. then he's calling them out and i can hear yep. him in the corner, yep. <laughs> in the corner whatever right helps and what i like you know in being perfectly honest here, I, I do record the state games. Um, so, you know, when I'm going back to write a game story, there are times, especially if something crazy happens at the end, if I need to go back and, and look at the videotape, occasionally I'll do that too. But for the most part, I don't need that. Yeah, I was doing that a little bit, especially for that Spruce Mountain Ellsworth game. Just sort oh, of going, okay, okay, what was, games. What was yeah. the structure of this? What was happening? How was this going, going down and who actually did what? Yeah. Yeah, those B games were wild. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm still not sure why they had them in Portland, but I'm glad they did because it was right in my backyard. And even though I didn't cover either game, I just got to sit and watch them. And, uh, you know, both uh, both thrilling games down to the wire with some with some wild leads changes and swings and just a great way to kind of put the exclamation point on the season. And you already had a press pass, so you might as well. Yes, I did. So I might as well use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I heard from uh, MPA people is they would have done it in Augusta, because the whole snow thing, and they would have done it in Augusta, but Augusta was booked that day uh, yeah. because all of those teams, Augusta was closer sure. than oh, Portland. Absolutely. 
Right. So it would have made a but, lot you more know, sense. You know, gotta that. say, people traveled well on a weeknight. Uh, you know, Ellsworth brought a ton of people down. Uh, Spruce Mountain certainly had a lot of people too. Um, so I was impressed with, uh, you know, I guess if your team's in a state championship, for most communities, that doesn't happen every day. So you're going to want to make a right. point to get out and see it. And and it turned out being worth the drive, I'm sure, for most people. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all sort of give up one night of sleep for a state game. <laughs> I gave <laughs> up know? many that, that fortnight or whatever it was. Yeah, I was getting to bed around two or three most of those nights, I think, for the tourney yeah. week. Yeah, yeah that, was, was that was about right for me as well. All right. So the other thing, one other thing before we get into spring sports is I've always, I was doing a little bit of background on you just before we got on here. And I noticed you're from Arizona, which is a surprise because I always assumed you were from here since you're like such an ardent Patriots fan, even if your predictions aren't, (laughs) aren't on point all the time. Not, not, not even close half the time, but (laughs) yeah, I, um, I grew up in Arizona. Arizona. I moved to Boston after college, and then I moved up to uh, Portland. And it was a long time ago. I won't even tell you how how many years ago because I'll be showing my age. But uh, <laughs> you know, most people go from the East Coast to Arizona. I did it the yeah. other way around, and uh, love it here. But, you know, met my wife here. I'm not going anywhere. This is certainly home at this point. So, and you went to ASU, right? I went to Northern Arizona University. Actually, Northern I was Arizona. a lumberjack. Yes. Yep. And so. At- what is it about, I mean, if you grow up in Arizona, you go to school in Arizona, what makes you, I did something similar where after I graduated college, I just moved to Tennessee for a couple of years, but that's because I knew some people who were there. Yeah. Was there something like that that got you to Boston? No, I, and, and I can't Paul even really, fan? yeah, I couldn't even say there was like one, I mean, I, certainly the, the lure of being in a, in a city with big time sports and, you know, going to Fenway Park and, you know the garden and all and of course the patriots are horrible when i first moved there um so they were by far the fourth uh, the fourth team in the in the city at that point but just uh, i don't know just the allure of being in a big city uh with the big sports teams and after i lived in the big city for two years i got sick of the big city and uh, yeah. portland's kind of a mini boston and it's two hours away and you have every i pretty much have everything i need here so uh, very very happy here and of course in this day and age you can watch any team from anywhere so uh, that, that's easy enough to do yeah, it's not those old days where you would get like two games on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And then you're and, pretty and much be out lucky. Yeah. Yeah. They were not good games sometimes. No. <laughs> they didn't have the idea of flexing out no. a better game. No, that's kind of thing was uh, was not even in anyone's imagination. Not even that many years ago, really. Yeah. So did you always know you wanted to be a sports writer or was that something that came later? That's something that came later. I was actually a history major in college. Um, you know, I've, I've loved sports. I've been a huge sports fan since about the age of seven or eight. You know, I've always had my head filled with stats and, you know, and history and, you know, fun party tricks. Like I can, you know, name a year. I can tell you who was in the final four, that kind of crazy stuff. But I never really put two and two together till, uh, till I was well into my adulthood, did some career counseling. Finally, it clicked. And, you know, luckily when I decided I wanted to get into this field, it was just after really the advent of the internet really taking off. There were all kinds of websites and, you know, it was still kind of the heyday for the newspapers, weekly papers. There were a good amount of options and just happened to get my foot in the door at the forecaster. They were looking for someone to cover, uh, to write two stories a week for them as a freelancer. Actually, they were looking for a high school or a college kid. I was you know, a little bit older than that at that point, but uh, they took me on and it kind of evolved into a full-time position. So I've been very lucky. Uh, this is the end of my 22nd year. And uh, wow. I know I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to do what I do. What was the thing that triggered it? Because I got into writing late as well. And I'm just kind of curious. 
I just, you know, I mean, I, I certainly had a strong writing background, being a history major, having the research background. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I lived for sports. I, I watched sports constantly, uh, probably a lot more then than I do now, just because I have, get such a fill of it through work. But, um, you know, I, I knew there was something that I should be doing, something that I would be good at doing. And it just, it really was was putting the pieces in place. And then a lot of it early on, I would just watch a game and write a story that nobody read. And uh, maybe that's still the case now. I don't even know, but uh, that's kind <laughs> of how I kind of how I honed the skills. And uh, and then you know I was lucky enough to finally find a platform. Well, you got to spend some time yelling into the void. I think with yes, anything. Yes, yes. And I think if you're persistent and you, and people know that you work hard and you care, uh, you know it often pays off. But there's a, there's an element of luck. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Uh, if I didn't have people believe in me and take a chance on me, I I probably wouldn't have made it. So you know, I think you know when I talk to younger people, I always encourage them to follow their passion and um, you know just know as much as possible about the world at large, not just sports, because it all does tie together. And and, uh, you know, hopefully you, you you can do something that you love. And if you do, your life's going to be uh, certainly a lot richer than than people that that, that don't have that. So because I've been on that other side, too. And uh, I, I know I'm very lucky. And this is so this is when the forecaster this is well before the uh, Portland Press Herald bought it. Right. Or before Correct. It joined yeah. Forces yeah. With the Press we, were, we, we were an independent paper uh, back in 2001 when I started. And uh, then we were purchased by the Sun Journal in 2003. We were actually under their umbrella for uh, the next 14, 15 years. And then uh, then we were bought out and uh, we're all uh, under the Press Herald umbrella uh, now as are most of the papers in the state. So right. um, so I, I do uh, write some game stories for the, the Daily uh, as well as doing my stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's where things stand right now. That's kind of the nature of, of where the, the media business is. And you know, a lot of jobs have been lost over the years. So, uh, you know, I'm lucky that I'm still able to do what I do. And now you're all sort of just waiting to see if Reed decides he's going <laughs> to sell or not. Yeah. You know, I, that stuff is so beyond me and, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to keep my nose to the grindstone and do what I do and hope everything works out. And, you know, no, no one's consulting me uh, over sales or <laughs> whether to sell, not to sell, how much to sell. I'm not a business person. So they don't have I'm you just going to keep doing that? what I'm doing. No, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I know Reed cause I go running with him sometimes cause he's up here okay. and he runs barefoot. And my ongoing joke with him is that if you would stop buying a newspaper, he could afford some running Plus shoes. Afford shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think at this point he's probably, uh, he's like those old fashioned old time NFL kickers that used to go, you know, yeah. the, show. the rich Carlos and the Russell Van Erks Laban and God, I'm dating myself here, but uh, you know, the old time guys that, that didn't use a shoe, which I still don't get, but. When I was a kid, that's what it seemed like they were all that way. Yeah, it's crazy. The rule of thumb in running is if you're at a race and some dude shows up with no shoes on, then just you don't mess with them. Yeah, that's you know, hardcore. They're probably yep. they're probably going to beat you. If they're wearing jean shorts and no shoes, then they're probably going to win the race. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I don't run, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> right. Unless someone's chasing me, that's the only time I run. That's the best time. Yeah. All right, so let's talk spring sports. So this year I'm going to do heel points by request kind of for spring sports. And so Great. I figured I should talk to some people about spring sports because most people seem to not enjoy the floating divisor with the heel points that they started <laughs> using for COVID and are still using because it's very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all these wild swings. So let's talk baseball first. Um, yeah. Baseball, I actually I know about baseball because I actually – got into analytics first with baseball. That was sort of the thing that taught me everything. And then I sort of, a lot of the stuff I do is just converted from baseball. 
Um, but what does the landscape look like? Because I actually don't pay, I haven't paid until now any attention really to high school baseball other than checking in the local teams to see how they're doing when the tournament yeah. starts. So what's the landscape look like? Well, you know, I, I mean, I can speak more on, on the greater Portland area than anything, because that's kind of what I cover. But and there's certainly a lot of good teams down this way. Uh, you know, Class A South, I think the feeling is South Portland's a team to beat. They returned two of the best pitchers in the state, uh, and Andrew Heffernan and Nolan Hobbs. They won the state title two years ago. They got to the regional final last year and lost to TA. And, and since they're returning a lot, including a couple of really good infielders in uh, Richie Gilboy and Johnny Poole, and some of these names might be familiar to people from uh, sports like hockey and Heffernan was on the basketball team that repeated as a state title. So right now it's, it's kind of really a golden era for South Portland boys sports, you know, where they've won state titles recently in, in baseball and basketball, got to the state game in hockey, got to the regional final in football. And a lot of these kids have been involved in, in a couple or all of these sports. So the South Portland seems like the team to beat, but you know, Falmouth has an excellent team too. They're, not only are they coached by Mike D'Andrea, who is the, the most accomplished uh, main high school baseball coach of all time, uh, but he's got Mike Rutherford, the longtime Portland coach, helping him out this year. So there's a lot of brain power in that dugout this year. Wow. It's going to be interesting to see how that all comes together. Uh, Falmouth, they might be the best team equipped offensively. You know, the interesting thing with Class A South is there's a lot of really good pitching, but teams are going to struggle to score runs. So, you know, a lot of these games are going to be two to one, three to two you know, who can generate some runs in these big games against good pitchers. I think Falmouth's well-equipped to do that. You know, Thornton Academy lost Cody Bowker. He's at Georgetown now. He kind of led them to the state title last year, but they're going to certainly be in the hunt again. And, you know, and then there's several other teams. Marshwood had a really nice run last year. Uh, surprised everybody got to the semifinals. Uh, I think I hear good things about Kennebunk having a really strong pitching staff. Scarborough's generally very competitive. Uh, so I think it, you never know with baseball too. I mean, you, you make a couple errors, you, you have a bad game, you're out, you have a really good pitcher, even if your team's not as good, you can advance. Uh, and then class B South is really interesting too, where, uh, you know, Greeley and Freeport have kind of battled each other here the last few years. You know, last year Greeley had two division one players and Zach Johnson, who's now at Wake Forest and Ryan Colvin, uh, who's going to the university of Massachusetts. And it, it seemed like they were taking turns throwing no hitters in perfect games last year. But they did lose to Freeport in the regional final. Uh, Freeport had Blaine Coburn, who's now at University of Maine. Uh, both teams have been kind of hard hit by, by graduation, come back to the pack a little bit. That might give a team like Yarmouth or York or Cape Elizabeth a chance to kind of step into the void. And, you know, and I know, you know, I'm mentioning a lot of these schools that, that are a lot of these are good basketball schools too, as, as well as good in a lot of other sports. But, you know, I'd expect, uh, you know, from my coverage area and from the greater Portland area, uh, these are teams that you're going to be hearing a lot about in the next two months. And that's kind of a theme, isn't it? That when a school is good in one sport, they tend to be yes. pretty good in other sports with their right. exceptions. Yeah. And I mean, and ideally you have athletes who are playing multiple sports, right? Cause that doesn't always right. happen. So, and I think, you know, in a lot of these schools, that are, uh, that are down this way, uh, you know, you talk about some of the great basketball players from this year, Stevie Walsh from Yarmouth. He's a three-sport athlete. He's a star soccer player. He's playing baseball in the spring. Um, so that certainly helps you be good at, at more than one sport. And, you know, some of these sports are more specialized than others. Some of them are, are based on having bigger numbers. Uh, you know, a lot of the football programs in this area have kind of had diminished rosters in recent years and have struggled a little bit with that. But, uh, it doesn't, you know, it, you, you look across the board and, you know, whether we're talking soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, or baseball across in the spring, there's going to be a lot of crossover with these school names. 
yeah, it seems like we have crossovers there, maybe less in like wrestling. Like, I don't know yes. if you, you don't really tend to see the wrestling guys show up in like soccer. No, and, and like the that. schools that tend to excel at that, like Noble. I mean, we don't really talk about Noble in a lot of the other sports, but I mean, that's kind of their crown jewel each year. Uh, Wells is good in a lot of sports, um, but, you know, that's another school that, that does have a strong wrestling program. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how, you know, specialization affects uh, certain sports and certain schools. Yeah, and now we're, we've got specialization and now we're starting to see people like go prep, which is going to yes. take out some yep. three school athletes because you're like, well, he's real good in basketball. Right. So we're going to go prep and then you've lost a soccer player as well. Right. And, you know, and of course it affects, you know, we, we, you know, here we're very uh, provincial. We love our main basketball, right? I mean, we would have loved to, uh, to, to keep the best players around. We'd love to see uh, JP Estrella play his senior year. We'd love to see Cooper flag here for four years, you know, players that are that elite. It's understandable why, why maybe they wouldn't stick around. Uh, but on the girls' side, I mean, we were lucky to have Mackenzie Holmes and Anna DeWolf and players like that for four seasons. So, uh, but yes, there are more and more options and I'm not always sure they're the best option. Uh, I mean, prep hockey has been an option for many years. I think the feeling is if you're a really good high school hockey player in Maine, you really almost have to go somewhere else. Um, yeah, and my feeling is if you're a good enough athlete, you're going to get noticed, but I understand why there is that pull, uh, to, uh, to go and play on a bigger stage. Yeah. There's the, the, yes, we'd like to see Cooper flag play four years in the Comus, but we'd also like to see him play in the NBA. Exactly. Yeah. And those <laughs> no, two things aren't necessarily I, compatible. Right. If I have to yeah. pick, I'm going to take 10 years of the NBA Yeah, and yeah. it's just going, how can the Celtics get the number one pick? Well, and we can say we knew him when, right? We had that one magical right. year. Yeah, there's just going to be, he's going to go whenever he ends up, whatever team he ends up with, there's going to be so many jerseys oh, from that goodness. team at the yes. Civic Center for like the next however many years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's certainly on the right track. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So then what well, that brings us to Class C with, yeah, and, and uh, with baseball. Class C, uh, the, the Waynefleet NYA co-op team has been very competitive in recent years. But outside of that, most of the strong teams kind of lie uh, up in the mid-coast, up in the Augusta area. Uh, you know, Miranda Cook's usually very strong. Uh, Winthrop, schools like that. I'm kind of blanking on on who some of the other better teams are. But you know, traditionally, uh, schools from down here, Old Orchard Beach, you know, Trape Academy, Sockabee Valley, kind of take a back seat to those others. Is there a team in the north or like the central or mid coast that's just looming of like kind of like Caribou did for a couple of years in basketball where you're like, well, if we get to the state game, great. But now we got these guys. Well, I mean, Bangor in, um, in baseball is always excellent. And it seems like they're always the team that's in the uh, that, that represents the north. And often they'll uh, they'll derail the, the best hopes of even seemingly really invincible teams from down here. I remember several years ago, Falmouth had just a terrific team. They were on the verge of winning a state championship. They even had a lead. Uh, I think the game went to the eighth and the ninth inning. They, they took a lead to the bottom of that inning, and Bangor came back and won. Uh, Bangor denied South Portland a championship a few years ago before South Portland finally broke through. So, yeah, I think if you're if you're the team from Class A South, you almost expect to see Bangor there, although Oxford Hills is really good. I mean, they have Eli Soren, and uh, that's a team that's had a lot of success here in boys' sports the last couple of years. So um, they're another one to keep an eye on for sure. Okay, so let's now talk softball. Um, sure. Who are who are the teams in softball? Who are the teams to beat? You know, it, it's, it's kind softball, of. Sh- I'm going to derail you first. So softball, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a little different in that the pitchers are way more dominant in softball, right? And they, they can often pitch more are. Often. 
Although, yeah, I mean, they, you often see them pitch every day, every inning in some cases. Uh, but softball's kind of shifted in the last few years down here. For the longest time, it was Scarborough and everyone else. And, I mean, Scarborough had a run where they won over 100 consecutive regular season games. Um, it seemed like they were in the in the regional final of the state game every year, kind of like the Patriots there for, for the, at the end of Brady's run. I mean, you knew it, at a bare minimum they were going to be in the regional final. Uh, chances are they were going to be in the state final and good chance they were going to win it. Uh, Tom Griffin did a phenomenal job of that program, won just under 500 games before finally stepping down. Scarborough's still good. I think people are overlooking them a little bit. I think they might be heard from here this season. But this year the favorites are a Wyndham team that's kind of come of age here the last couple seasons. A lot of freshmen two years ago. Uh, they've gotten better and better. Uh, they're certainly going to be viewed as a team to beat. Biddeford's the reigning champion. You know, graduation did hit them hard a little bit but they're really, really strong. Kennebunk has some strong pitching, uh, so they're going to be in the mix as well. I think Chevers is kind of an up-and-coming team. Uh, they're maybe not quite there yet, but they've got some really good young talent. They just need to, to grow and get better. Uh, a lot of good girl athletes at Chevers right now in multiple sports, as you know. So uh, I'd say, you know, as far as Class A goes, that that's what we're looking at there. Uh, Class B is kind of interesting. You know, the big story for me in my coverage area last year was Freeport making the playoffs for the first time in 20 years. And it wasn't just because wow. it was an open tournament. They had their best season. They went 11 and five. They won a playoff game for the first time since the beginning of the century. A lot of those girls are back. I think they're looking to take the next step this season. Cape won the state title two years ago, took a little bit of a step back last year, but they have a new coach this year, Danica Gleason, who was a standout athlete at South Portland. And uh, she's taken over that program. I know she's going to have them uh, in contention in no time. So some good teams to watch there. And York is also very strong uh, down this way. A lot of good hitters. Uh, they had a really successful team a year ago. I think they're going to go deep. Cool. And so is there, and I'll ask you the same question I asked about baseball. Is there a looming team? Is it in the North? Is it Bangor there as well? It seems like Skowhegan's in the state game a lot. Um, you know, I know that there have been some battles over the years, you know, Skowhegan, Mesolonsky, school like that. I just, I, I mean, I don't know who's, who's kind of favored coming in uh, without, without doing the research. I can make something off the top of my head. But, you know, throwing out those, those traditional teams, I think, are probably ones to keep an eye on for sure. I feel like in podcasts, the move is always to just throw an idea off the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. wing it. All right. <laughs> well, I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> that's what most people seem to do <laughs> that's what kendrick perkins is doing and it seems to work for him yeah whatever works um, all right so and the one thing we're gonna talk lacrosse and then i just remembered that i was gonna ask you this in the in the opening because i'm new to this interviewing people thing mm -hmm. what is your take on so we've had a rash of um of basketball coaches retire yeah. in the last yeah. like two weeks it's been like a crazy run and i think it's mike gray's fault because he was the first one he's the trendsetter <laughs> He's yeah. the trendsetter, and everyone was like, "Well, if Mike can, is Mike's going to do it, I'm going to do it." And nice, sure. So, like, what, like, what is your take on that? Do you think it's a, is it just a fluke? Is it just that we had a bunch of people who were at a point where they, you know, were just ready to be done? I don't think it's, it didn't, doesn't feel like it's a parents are pushing everybody out epidemic. No, I agree. I mean, it's does all seem to be independent of each other. It's kind of interesting that it's all happening here at the same time. Um, you know, I think in some cases, you know, Bob Davies at Thornton Academy, uh, he 
I'm sure he wanted to stay in it and, and being able to coach his son, Will. I mean, who wouldn't want to coach Will Davies, right? And, right. Uh, you know, I don't know that that that's the reason that he's he's done just after uh, Will's graduating, but it's certainly understandable that he stayed in it as long as he did for that reason. Uh, Dean Plant, who, who doesn't want to go out, you know, the Al McGuire way, winning a title, and, yeah. uh, you know, you can't ask for a better farewell than that. You know, you, part of me wonders if Portland boys had won with – would Coach Russo had stepped away? I mean, he hasn't committed to coming back yet, but he says that every year. Um, and the longer the time goes on, <laughs> the more coaches. I expect the more I expect him back. So I just think you know, there's a lot of pressure. It takes people don't realize how much time is spent as a coach, and it's not just from uh, you know the end of November till you know in a best case scenario the first week in March. You know, you're 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 busy during the summer, a good chunk of the summer, and and really it's a 12 month a year job. Uh, you know, keeping up with the kids. Um, trying to keep them uh, in, engaged with school, keep them, you know, involved with the program. And, uh, you know, once the games start, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of commitment. It's a lot of pressure. And these stipends aren't very big. So, um, you know, I know it's a labor of love for a lot of these uh, men and women who, who do an awesome job. Um, but, you know, you, you can't you can't go on forever. I know, you know, for every Joe Russo and Dave Halligan, you know, there's there's many others that just realize that, you know, you don't have the time or the energy or, you know, in a lot of cases you have young kids and that's a big pull too, because they're involved with all their activities. And, uh, it, you know, it's impressive to me, the people that can juggle all that as well as they do. Yeah. I mean, if you're Davies, your, your son just won Mr. Basketball. Like that's a pretty good, yeah. a pretty good note to go out on. And <clears throat> right. Know, other than winning a state title. I mean, that's yeah. 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 You'd want to stick around so, to coach they, your kids. And then the other thing I see sometimes is people going, well, my kid's about to go into high school. Right. And, and I, I either don't want to them. coach. I want to be able to yeah. be the fan who's the obnoxious fan in the stands yelling at the officials. <laughs> and not, yeah. not and it's funny to me how many of them become that person too. You would think they'd have a little yeah. more, you know, or, or bug the coach about playing time. I'm, I'm always floored that, you know, if, if you had been on the other side of that, how easily, I guess it's human nature. It's well, if you're no longer coaching, you can't get a technical from the stands. That's so true. You can get thrown out. I've seen fans get thrown out but I've yes seen fans get thrown out. It's my favorite thing to see at a game because it's always in a game and most often it's in a game that's like a 40 point game and the ref's just like dude dude right it's a 40 point game shut up yeah, yeah. Oh, um all right so let's let's talk about lacrosse i i'm going to just preface this by saying i know not a single thing about lacrosse i know that they have a stick with a net on it yep and right, very good. That's a start. I think, they, I think they wear goggles, and that's all uh, I know. So, I'm, so there's a, they don't have lacrosse almost, here. When I was growing up, it wasn't a thing in this area. Right, right. It basically think of it lacrosse as two different sports because the girls' game and the boys' game is is totally different. The boys' game it's oh. kind of like foot. It's kind of like football in the spring, uh, in the sense that it's extremely physical. You can knock people around. You can swat with your stick and try to get the ball loose. Uh, very physical game. Uh, you know, I, I was say it. You know, other than football, that's probably the second most uh, testosterone laden sport. And uh, okay. there, there is there is some crossover between those two. The girls game really does not allow checking to speak of. Um, you can try to knock the stick out of the, uh, the the sphere, but and the girls stick is totally different than the guys. They have to kind of cradle it and twist it because otherwise the ball will fall out. So it takes a lot of skill just to be able to maintain possession. Boys game, it has a deeper pocket and it can't be too deep, though, or it's a penalty. 
so i mean those are kind of the basics of it uh you know the, the goal is the same obviously you want to put the goal and ball in the goal more than the other team and you win uh, but if you watch the two games, they are very, very different sports. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're equally entertaining just in different ways. So when I'm watching a movie and they have the the real macho testic- testosterone dudes who are the jerks in the movie and they put yeah. them as lacrosse players, that's why? Yeah. Well, that's, it's it's interesting how that that's, that's the casting, but... Um, you know, most of the most of the guys I cover are great, but yeah, I mean, I could I could see where some of that would uh, would be applicable. And so then it's also a little bit like hockey without skates. True. Is yeah, I mean, a lot like fo- football, a lot like hockey, and it's you know it's it's a very entertaining sport. It has grown incredibly. I um, mean, you think about lacrosse wasn't even sanctioned by the MPA until 1998. Uh, prior to 2006, it was just one class, and uh, as of I think it was 2018, it went to a third class. So a lot of schools are playing it, and, and it's branching out more and more. I mean, originally it was basically in the Portland area, uh, Cumberland, New York County. I mean, now we have teams in Bangor, Holton, uh, and, you know, we've had teams uh, make it to the state game that like Oak Hill, Marana Cook, uh, Mesolonsky, that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think of as, as lacrosse powerhouses. So the game has grown a lot. Uh, you know, it's certainly still strongest down in this area with the Cape Elizabeths and the Yarmouths and Falmouths and teams like that. Uh, but it, you know, I know that baseball and softball have had their numbers hurt in a lot of cases, be just because of how popular lacrosse has become. Yeah, you, I've heard, I have heard some of that. And so, if it started in '98, that would explain why I don't know anything about it because I graduated '97. Right. And so, yeah, I you think know. so. It it did exist. Um, you know, there was there was a league. It was it was mostly made up of smaller private schools and and a few public schools that got ahead of the curve like Cape Elizabeth and Yarmouth that remain powerhouses to this day. But, you know, certainly it was a, a very different story back then. And, you know, now most of the schools have it, you know, certainly down our, our way. And I think it's just going to continue to grow in other parts of the state. Because it doesn't sound like it has a big financial investment. I mean, you've already got your soccer field, right? right? And it's no, just it's, some it's sticks. not like hockey where you have to buy a lot of equipment, uh, you know, get your ice time and, and weird hours. Um no, it's 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 relatively inexpensive, and it's a sport that you know you can pick up fairly quickly. I mean, really, the biggest thing is the stick skills. If you're athletic, uh, if you can learn how to throw and catch, you're gonna you're gonna do really well. Yeah, then it's just running and dodging people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And shooting right. and scoring. So, ideally, ideally, ideally. <laughs> um, so then the powers. I looked at the state champions, and it looks like it's pretty much Falmouth and everybody else. Is that a fair assessment normally? Uh, well, it's actually Cape Elizabeth and everybody else. I mean, Cape has dominated. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cape has dominated really going back to the 1980s. I mean, this is just the premier program for the boys. Um, they got in on the ground floor. Uh, Charlie Birch created a program that uh, won every state title um, in the 90s. Uh, finally, in 2001, NYA knocked them off in the state game. And then from like 2003 to 2010-ish, uh, Yarmouth was every bit their equal, if not maybe slightly better. And then Falmouth had a little bit of a run where uh, Falmouth and Cape had a great rivalry for about five, six years. But in the last uh, couple of seasons, Cape has kind of gotten back to that level where it's them and everyone else. Uh, they even made a, a documentary a couple seasons ago on uh, on their undefeated championship team uh, that won oh. a state title for the first time in a couple of years. And it was their first Class A title. It was the only thing they hadn't done yet uh, was win Class A. And then they, of course, repeated this last season. So... 
Uh, ben Raymond's been the coach since 1998. Uh, he also is the boys soccer coach and very successful swim coach at Cape Elizabeth. And, you know, he just, uh, this, these kids grow up watching their heroes at the high school. They want to become them. And uh, a lot of them go on and play, uh, play at college and play in a, at a very high level. And Cape's always the team to beat. Um, and again, this year, I mean, I, I don't think they're quite as dominant maybe as they've been the last couple of seasons. Thornton Academy is very strong. They won a couple of state titles uh, right before COVID. They were the champions in uh, 2018, 2019. And uh, they, they were in the regional final last year. They actually knocked Cape off in the regular season last year. I think they're going to be right there with them. A lot of really good teams in Class A this year, and it's all one region. It's not uh, north and south. Uh, Falmouth, South Portland, they're certainly going to be heard from too. Uh, Scarborough. They're, uh, these are all teams that are used to going deep, have won state championships, and uh, you know everyone's chasing Cape, but th there's there's some really good teams there. And in Class B, uh, Brunswick upset Yarmouth in the state final last year. I wouldn't be surprised if those two teams are on a collision course again. Uh, but you know you've got Mesolonsky Coney on the girls' side had a really good year last year. Um, just uh, continuing to uh, see the game evolve in the in the mid coast, and then Class C really has become an, an NYA Wayne Fleet uh, showdown every year. Unfortunately, with the heel points, the first couple of years of three classes, they didn't play in the state game. They played in the semis, and that was the de facto state game. But last year, they finally did match up in the state game. It was an epic uh, double overtime. Wayne Fleet won it. It's, it's the longest ever state game. Uh, no, no state game had ever gone more than one overtime. That one went two. So I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if, if those two teams are uh, on a collision course again. And, the, you know, that's that's basically the, you know, the boys – the boys' side summarized you know, a lot of the, the, the same names but and a lot of the same teams. And the nice thing is the way the schedule is now, they went from fourteen from 12 games to 14. So it gives us some of these top teams even more of an opportunity to play each other. Oh, so they're playing 14 this year. Is 14 new this year? Yeah. Okay. Yes, because I was the first year. It was always year. it was always twelve. It was always twelve prior to this. So they're going fourteen, and and uh, you know for a long time the SMA didn't want to play out of schedule, out of uh, conference, but uh, that's changed now, and you're really starting to see, you know, that's why Cape Elizabeth and South Portland can play twice, and they should. They're right next door to each other. They're two of the five right. best teams in the state, so it just makes a lot of sense. Right. So they're okay. So I was setting, yeah, I was setting up the spreadsheets, and I was looking at last year, and I saw twelve, and right. I, that was sort of my assumption. So now. I can fix that uh -huh. <laughs> and my math won't be all screwy. Um, what, what's your take on the conferences opening up? Because especially with the SMAA and everybody else, MVC, the MVC famously it's just, in basketball. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. I think it, it's good for, for everybody, especially in, you know, you look at the Mountain Valley Conference in basketball, especially on the boys' side, how much those teams had struggled coming down and playing in the tournament against Western Maine Conference teams that play a much tougher regular season. Uh, and I know a lot of the MVC schools were clamoring for that for a long time. I just think you, you want to play the best schedule you can. And, you know, winning games by 20, 30, 40, 50 points every night doesn't do you any good. And it's not a yeah. whole heck of a lot of fun to watch or to cover either. So I think it's great. And, you know, you can still keep your traditional rivals, but why not have a couple games against teams that are kind of equal to where you are in the standings, uh, you know, to kind of fill out the schedule with that. I just think it, it makes so much sense. And I think it's a step in the right direction. And it seems like most of the conferences are on board now, which is really great to see. One thing that Scott Bessie said to me that I thought was really interesting is he said it's not even – People think it's the playing the tougher schedule, and that's that certainly helps to play a tougher schedule. But a big thing when you're prepping for a tournament game is 
if you've even if you haven't played the team you're playing, if you've played teams they played, and so you can watch the tape. So if you've got Cape and you didn't sure. play Cape, but you played Yarmouth, so you can mm-hmm. at least watch the game of them with Yarmouth and you can go, okay, this is yeah. how in relation to them, you know, this is what we're looking at. This is how fast these guys are. This is how big they are. It's stuff like that. Absolutely. And it's just kind of fun to, to, you know, to mix things up every now and then and, and see schools you don't see that often and see other players that you might not ever see, except for in a tournament setting. So, uh, you know, I just hope it continues. And, and I think most, of, you know, I know the coaches certainly have felt this way for a long time. But, you know, it's nice to see that the athletic directors and some of the other powers that be are starting to see the value of that. And yeah, it feels like the coaches have gone out of their way more to get games out, like there's get their scrimmages against teams that they might either see in the tournament or, you know, yeah. just get the hardest game you can get. Like Gardner went and played Chevrous and they didn't have to go play Chevrous. They could have played yeah, anyone for that game. Right, right. But but it pays off in the long run. And you know, especially now with the limited number of dates that you have for exhibition games, um, you know, you might as well maximize those opportunities and and uh, and really, even if it's a team that, that you're probably not going to beat, you're still going to learn from it. You're still going to get better from it. You see some of the elite teams here in the state will actually play out of state teams uh, for exhibitions. You know, Cape Elizabeth, Falmouth, these lacrosse powerhouses will play the teams like Pinkerton from North from New Hampshire. They generally don't win that game and they might go undefeated right. in the regular season. But that game is going to have more value for them than, than their other 12, 14 games put together in many cases. Yeah, I mean, I would think if you're a lacrosse team and you could go down to like Long Island for a week yeah. and play two or three teams, that would do wonders for you. And plus, you know, it's better for the kids to have that experience of rather than just playing Yarmouth again, you know, to go play a team in New Hampshire, go play a team in Boston or whatever. Right. And and not only that, I mean, and a lot of the spring teams will take the uh, April vacation trips to Florida and uh, and get a chance to you know not only get a weather break but you know, see, see teams from all over the country and that's another opportunity to, to work on your game and get better so uh these are all good these are all great opportunities and uh, hopefully they continue all right so let's talk uh girls lacrosse who is who's the powerhouse and is it also cape elizabeth it's kennebunk uh, kennebunk is the two-time defending champs they won 32 games in a row they are four games shy of the state record, which is held by Wayne Fleet uh, in 2004 to 2006. And uh, Brunswick also won 36 games in a row, playing a, a very different type of schedule. But, you know, those two have the record. Kennebunk's on the on the brink of breaking that. And they have the best player in the state, without a doubt, in Ruby Slikowski, who is going to go play at Brown next year. This is going to be her senior season. Uh, she missed her freshman year altogether because the year was canceled by COVID. She kind of showed up as a secret weapon as a sophomore and wasn't a secret for very long. Uh, she just She's tough to stop. Great player, fun to watch. Uh, they're certainly the team to beat, but you know, Class A has some other really good teams too. Uh, Yarmouth moved up to A last year. They had been B forever. They uh, they were they actually won the Class B title in 2021. They wanted to move up and play the best last year, and they wound up getting to states. Uh, they fell three goals shy against Kennebunk, but uh, they played really well. They their star player Caitlin Dapolonia is now at the University of Colorado, which just goes to show that uh, you know Maine does produce some pretty good talent there. Um, there they'll be tough again. Falmouth, uh, you know Sloan Ginovan. I know you know who she is. Uh, she's going to be playing lacrosse at Notre Dame. Unfortunately, she couldn't play basketball this winter because she's still recovering from a knee injury from last spring. Uh, but she will be back for lacrosse. I think Falmouth's going to be really, really tough too. So 
whether Kennebunk goes undefeated again, I don't know. I, I still think they're, in my mind, they're the team to beat. But, you know, a third straight title will not come easily. I'm curious to see if they can get that uh, state record win streak because I know they have some tough games early in the season. Um, so that's kind of really the, the story on the A side. Class B, Greeley finally broke through last year, won their first title in the MPA era. They lost one player to graduation. They have everybody else back. Uh, I think I've alluded to earlier, Coney had a very good year last year. Uh, Greeley beat them in the semis. Uh, so that's a team from uh, you know a little bit uh, further afield from Cumberland County uh, that should be kind of strong. Uh, York's very good. And Class C is interesting, too. Uh, you got Waynefleet and NYA opening the season tomorrow. They've won the last two titles. Uh, Waynefleet won it two years ago. NYA won it last year. And uh, Freeport, excellent team. Uh, they've been the ones that uh, they've been left on the outside looking in because Waynefleet beat them by a goal in the state game two years ago. Last year, uh, Freeport got upset by NYA by a goal in the semis. They're hungry. They want to break through. They have a great player by the name of Kay Tracy uh, who will be at Wesleyan next year. So it seems like in all these classes, you have multiple teams. Yeah, you have a favorite, but um, I wouldn't say anybody's a sure thing going in. And that should just make for a fun season. Very cool. Is there more crossover on the girls' side from basketball than there is on the boys' side, or would you say it's about equal in terms of players? I would say it's about equal. I mean, without like really studying the rosters, I'd uh, just say off the top of my head, it's probably pretty close. I know that uh, Lizzie Gruber, I think I've seen photos of her doing lacrosse, which seems like a terrifying thing for an opponent. To have I was going to say that I would, not be, uh, I would not want to have to stand in her way and try to stop her. Of course, she can't <laughs> grab any rebounds, but you know, still, that's, that's got to be a formidable sight. Get those legs going, and you're just like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. I and saw again, her you, in – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, again, if you're a good athlete, and once you learn those stick skills, I mean, it's it's going to make life tough for everyone else. I So I saw a game up here um, where they put her at the top of the zone yeah. on defense, yeah. guarding the ball. Yep. That's <laughs> poor, a, I, I'm, poor... I'm guessing you're not scoring many goals in that situation. No, it was this poor point guard is like five three, and she looks up and there's the group with her arms yeah. stretched out. She's like, "Uh, what do I do now?" <laughs> yeah. Um, is there are there looming teams in uh, not field hockey in lacrosse? I know in field hockey the looming team is Skowhegan always, um, but in girls lacrosse, is there a looming team up north? Oh, let's see. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I I think Coney's going to be good. Mesolonsky's had a lot of success over. Over the years, and you know, including a, you know that that's that's a program that's won championships. You know, Bangor uh, is a team is a program that's a newer program that they were in the playoffs last year. Uh, I think uh, you know they're slowly starting to put it together, um, and that's the nice thing is you're you're seeing as time goes on these programs that are younger that are starting to catch up, and that's that's kind of the impetus that a third class was created for uh, five years ago was to give really young programs a chance to compete uh, as well as smaller schools kind of give them a home, you know, NYA and Waynefleet are really good, but they're not beating Cape and Yarmouth in the playoffs. So, you know, it gives them a chance to, uh, to compete for a championship at that level. And, and it gives a lot of other programs just a chance to kind of get up to speed. And I think it's worked out pretty well. So uh, hopefully as time goes on, you're going to see maybe some schools that you're not really thinking of as lacrosse schools becoming competitors and, and getting to regional finals and perhaps state finals and, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that would be great for the sport. Is it, they've kind of been using class D for that in um, football, right? Yeah. For that That's the theory. That yeah. 
Right. And, and, you know, that's worked out pretty well too. And, and, you know, there's been the, there's been a developmental league now and then that that's helped, uh, you know, football is an interesting phenomenon just because it's lost so many numbers in so many towns, you know, including down this way uh, programs that you wouldn't even think of are that are struggling for numbers, you know, kind of need a place to go. And that's kind of what the eight man option is now. Right. Yeah. I haven't even looked at the eight man stuff. I've, but it looks it was just they take out the linemen basically. So you're basically looking at your skill players. Yeah, you take out a couple. Of, it's it's a it's a fun and it's actually shorter with uh, you know the length of the field is the same, but width wise it's closer. Uh, but it's a fun game okay. to watch. You know, I, I did the uh, Yarmouth Waterville State game this year. Thrilling game came down to the last second. Uh, it's certainly uh, certainly a good quality of play. So and it's a great option for some of these programs that traditionally struggle for numbers. And in football, you've got to have you know a certain number of healthy bodies to be able to play. Yeah, it's not like basketball where you can be Seacoast Christian and and roll up with six people yeah. and hope for the best. They thrive, yeah. <laughs> right. Until the state game, yeah. Until the state game. Well, you get up against Southern Aristic and you need yeah. a lot of people. You need a, yeah. an army all right. to hold your own against them. Yeah. I don't. I still don't know where they find all those people up there to play basketball. I just there's not that's a lot what of you people. Do it. That, that's what you do, right? I've never actually been to the county. Um, and I, I know that they love their basketball up there. And I know there's been some oh, yeah. great players that have come from up there. It would be a lot of fun, I think, to uh, to take in that setting sometime. Yeah, it would be great to go up to like Easton and Southern Aristic and Presque Isle, Caribou, and just check out those gyms. Like, Absolutely. I feel like if I was 10 years younger and not married, I would probably be doing that on a regular basis. You but... could probably do a lot of things if that were the case. I, mean, I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of these years, I'd, I'd love to take a sabbatical, even if it's like for a week or two, and just you know go places that I've never been before. And because I know, yeah, you know, you get a taste of it in the tournament when the schools from up north bring down the bands and bring down half the town, and it's kind of a Hoosiers-like env- environment. It's got it's got to be so much fun to you know be able to actually see them on their on their home court and and be in that actual setting. I I really I got to put that on my sports watching bucket list to uh, to make a trip and do that sometime you get a little bit of it with the streaming now because you can yes. go you know you can all sort of bounce around mm-hmm. i have to bounce around just to find scores for some of these games and i'll end up watching like the last two minutes yeah. of a game at jonesport beals and i'm like man that's a cool court design yeah you know that's pretty sweet there's like right. 10 and it's great like that him. you can actually do that now i mean that it's one of the few good things that came out of covid as those that do it's it's a wonderful way to uh, to, to check out games from elsewhere because it's not like there's an espn that's you know bringing you from one game to another so you got to right. search it out on your own but that's great if you can do it and i know yeah when Greeley had that crazy eight overtime game against freiburg earlier this year you know people were were tuning in on the stream and otherwise you know you would have had to race to cumberland to try to catch catch the <laughs> ot's which probably wasn't realistic well i don't know if it depends on which overtime you left during that's true. Yeah, to get that, there for the that that was uh, something else, and unfortunately, I wasn't there that night. And that that's just my luck. I usually pick the wrong games, but no one thought yeah. really Freiburg in in late January was going to be a game worth seeing. So, just goes yeah, to show I, you never know. I think I heard about it like halfway through the eighth overtime, and I was like, "Wait, what? Yeah. What's happening?" There's yeah, no, I heard I heard in the fifth, over. and then it just kept going and going from there, but. You know, and, and it's not like, you know, a lot of the, the famous multi-overtime games didn't have a lot of big shots, a lot of dramatic plays. You know, that, that Bangor-South Portland five-overtime game, the famous one from 1992, one of the overtimes was 0-0. So, I mean, there was one big buzzer beater uh, in that game, but for the most part, it was attrition 
and whoever had the ball last would hold for the shot and try to win. You know, this Greeley Freiburg game had multiple overtimes where someone hit a game tying three, sometimes from impossible angles. I mean, a couple of those shots were just crazy. And I think that adds to the lore, and that's what made that game so special. There's a, um, I was doing some research on it after the game, and there's a 13 overtime game in yeah. the Carolinas, a girls' game that finished in the 30s. And so you can just imagine how yes. bad that was. It was like eight straight right. overtime and, and, that weren't scoreless. Right, because you'd, you'd get the ball and you'd hold for a shot, right? And then yeah. you, you, you didn't score, and it's not on the next. I mean, that's no fun to watch. And it yeah, doesn't, that's... it's not near as dramatic as a game where you have, you know, big play after big play to keep it going. Yeah, it must have been pretty painful to sit there. <laughs> I would like yeah. eight straight scoreless overtime. It's like, when like, is this going to end? Yeah. Oh, it's like we don't have beer sales for this. Are we sure we don't have beer sales <laughs> for this game? Back then they uh, might have. Who knows? Oh yeah, this is true. in the Carolinas maybe they already yeah. said moonshine underneath the bleachers. Oh, I bet there was some of that getting passed around. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to ask you. I've been asking everybody this question. Okay, so imagine that the MPA goes up to you and they say, okay, you're in charge. One day, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want. Cost is no factor. And you don't have to go through a committee. You don't have to like get it approved by the member schools. You don't have to convince any athletic directors to do it. Nothing. You don't, have to, you don't even have to convince Twitter. What, what's the, the thing you change about well, any – let's pick well, any sport, but – Preferably basketball, because then I'll know what you're talking about. No, no. Let's start with that. I mean, the first thing I would do is I would turn the clock back to where the big class tournament is the week after everything else. Uh, this is kind of what I grew up with in, early, in my early days as a reporter. I knew I was going to spend a week in Augusta covering the uh, the Western B, Western C, Western D tournament and soaking it all in and taking it all in every day. And then knowing that the following week it was on to the big class tournament at the Civic Center. They'd have the boys' semifinals on Friday night. Everyone called that the best night of the year. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that still fondly remember that as the best night of the year. And then you turn right around on Saturday and you'd have your regional finals. And uh, then you'd have, uh, you know, so the smaller classes had the stage all to themselves. Then you had the big class the following week. Uh, I would I would go back to that. I mean, there's the way the, cl- the, the class double AP double-A tournaments held right now, it's far from my site. Uh, they're being played on the campuses of the higher seeds. And, uh, you know, I'm selfish because I'm missing games. That's part of the reason I don't like it. And then even when you get to the semifinals at the Civic Center, uh, there's games going on concurrently at the Expo. So, again, you can't get to everything. And you got you, know, you got the Portland boys playing at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. You, you're just not getting the crowds that you would get if you would have, if you would have it the way it used to be. I know it's probably wishful thinking. Um, but that that's one thing I would change. Absolutely. Uh, I'd also change the way they, they do the seating for the, the press at the expo where uh, you don't get walked on <laughs> constantly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess I can't have everything. But no, I, I think if, if there were just the one thing that, that I had the, the power to uh, have an opinion on and maybe affect some change, it would be that it just it seemed to me that 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 wasn't broken. It didn't need fixing. And uh, it's not better. And then the changes that they've made have not been better. You know, I remember for a while they had the double A's up in Augusta and, you know, in front of you'd have Portland and Deering playing in a regional final in Augusta for a fraction of the crowd that you would have had if it were down in Portland. So I don't know. I'm not expecting anything to change there, but I wish it would. The other thing you, the other side of that is with the double, when the double A games are going on, like no one's paying attention to the class C games. 
right. that are being played in Augusta because everyone's focused, like all the media, if you're media and you're covering it, unless, exactly. you know, you're on the old orchard beach beat, right. You know, you're going to be covering the double a school because it's a bigger school. There's a bigger audience for your readers or your listeners or your viewers or whoever it is. Yeah. I mean, I, the more basketball, the better, right? Let, let's make this thing yeah. go a couple weeks or three weeks, whatever. I mean, well, into March and in a lot of states, I don't think they even get their tournament going until well into March. And it, it goes until like the middle of the month. And, you know, maybe that's, that's extreme for here, but I do think uh, that, that we could make this last another week and, and give the big, big class uh, schools their own limelight. And I, I think you'd see people flock uh, to uh, whatever they're calling the civic center these days uh, across the, the I just call it the uh, hockey the center or the arena. I still call it, I still call it the civic center. Um, and, and it's, and it's still cold down there on the floor, no matter what, with the, it's with the cold hockey rink everywhere in that building. Yes, Man, it is. It's for sure. Unless it's, unless it's a pack crowd for state games, it's great. And you know, the expo is a wonderful venue. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to, to have regional finals and state finals there for some of the lower classes. Uh, it just seems to make a lot of sense. It, I think it worked well for B. I, I wasn't yeah. sure they were going to be able to fit in every, everybody in there, but it was a great atmosphere. Right. And I guess, you know, depending who's in it, maybe that would affect it too. And, and not to say that the teams that were in it didn't bring good crowds because they did, but I wonder if, you know, more Portland centric teams had been in it, maybe it would have been a little more full, but you know, so you have a few people standing around. There's nothing wrong with that either. Just a great environment though. I always think it's funny that we rush to finish the basketball season and yeah. then we go, well, we can't play on the fields. Right. And there's, because <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, we got to push then, the baseball games because the grass is too wet. Right. And, and, like, and I know that your spring season is going to be short. There's not much you can do about that. I mean, realistically, you can't really. I mean, right, this right now we're having is amazing, but this isn't a typical um, April 12th. Like, you know, games start tomorrow. But it just snowed. 60 degrees. Um, I'm thrilled with that. I think there'll be a payback at some point, but. Uh, you know, so that that does. You're right, and and I mean, I love having the month break, and especially after the basketball tournament, I need to come up for air for a little bit. But you know, they could adjust it a week or two, and I'd be fine with that. But you know, I mean, they want everything in February vacation week, and I get that. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked how the snow forced them to spread the state games out a little bit, yeah. so that you had like there was a scenario there where we were going to get each class getting their own day. And I was like, I, Ooh, I kind of, I kind of. And that's this. another thing I would advocate for. I remember. Not many years ago, didn't D play on like Thursday night, and then you'd have someone on Friday, and then you'd have someone else Saturday. I yeah, I Sounds wish great. I wish every class had their own day, their own their own. Even even the Saturdays now, where you have all the games in Portland, and then you'll have I think C and D playing at the same time. I mean, look, I, a lot of this just comes from my own selfishness, where I want to see everything, and I mm-hmm. you know, I, I wish that it was spread out so everyone had their own platform. Yeah, and it's nice to get everybody, especially if you get to a state game. I mean, you should have the spotlight all to yourself. I totally for that agree. Two hours yep. or whatever it is. Absolutely. I think that would be great. Yep. And bring the whole state together and, you know, give people an opportunity to see schools they probably never heard of, probably the names they couldn't spell or pronounce, but it's <laughs> it's fun. And it, it, it's, it's, it's the biggest event on the, on the high school sports calendar. And I think we, we, we should have more of it, not less. Yeah, it's always fun when you like come across a class D or a class C team that you haven't seen because they're in way up there. And you're like, oh my goodness, this guy can play. Like this right. kid can really play. Like there's I think a lot of people saw Elise McNair and went, Oh wow. Yeah. She's legit good. Right. Right. And that's that's the beauty of 
uh, again, because you're not going to know that during the regular season if, if you're used to just following, uh, you know, the big schools. Yeah. All right. Well, that I think is all I have for you. Um, how can people find right. you on the interwebs? Well, uh, you know, I, I do tweet a lot as people. People know uh, I'm at four sports, F O R E sports and uh, all our, all my uh, articles, my long web articles can be found. Uh, you can go to the forecaster.net and click on sports. Uh, that, that's how I get the thing. Uh, especially when you, when you write for a smaller paper as I did for a long time to kind of get the word out. That's, that's kind of helped uh, spread the, spread the word about what I do. All right. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me. Uh, this has been the main basketball ranking show, which is brought to you by mainbasketballrankings.com. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, do the subscribing and the liking and the five stars and all the fun algorithm nonsense, because that really helps. And thank you once again for doing this. That's been my pleasure. It's been an enjoyable hour. All right. Thank you so much.